Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Good morning, church. Good morning, Gateway Church. It's so great to be gathering with you together this morning. Um, happy Valentine's Day. And uh, really appropriately this morning, we're going to be talking in our well-being journey about our relational well-being, how it is that we know that God is invested in us and how it is that we can live that out in our relationships with one another. Uh, hopefully, uh, as we go through today, praising God and uh, celebrating together, having some fun, encouraging one another in the Word, uh, we're going to feel uh, God topping us up, uh, filling our spiritual tanks. But I do want to encourage you uh, that for these things to, to really become your own live reality, you're going to want to uh, dive deep into community as a church here. If you're new to us, please do fill in the connection card that's at the top of your screen, and uh, we will be more than happy uh, to connect with you and help you in your journey. And of course, as part of our church, we're journeying these realities, these truths together in community. Our transformed communities are doing some incredible work around these. And if you're not yet part of one, then please let us know. And we'd love to help you connect with the transformed community. One other thing, or other two other things to mention, is that this evening at 8 p.m., uh, we begin a new rhythm in the life of the church that, that live on Facebook we're going to be sharing just for 10 or so minutes around communion together. And we're going to be doing that each and every Sunday. If you're able to join us tonight, that's absolutely fantastic. But it's also a resource, maybe in your family devotions or in your transformed community life, that you can use on other occasions as well. That's tonight at 8 eight o'clock rather. And then on Thursday, as we do uh, once a month, it's our day of prayer and fasting. We're going to be putting out some uh, details about the various prayer points for the day. And then in the evening, at uh, eight o'clock again, uh, we gather for our breakfast evening of praising God and of praying together. So make sure you're being a part of these things, joining together, which is so very important in these times. Right now, we're going to join together and praise God. This is the God who prayed over you. And Jesus prayed over you and me. And he said, Father, I pray that they would be one, even as you and I are one. We can be so confident in that prayer. The Jesus who prayed it is the Jesus who answers it. So right now, I'm going to invite you to stand together, lift our hearts, lift our hands, lift our voices. And though we might be in different rooms, Jesus has prayed it. He's fulfilling it. We are one in worshipping him. So let's celebrate this morning. 
Good morning, church. Good morning. Have you had a lovely weekend? Are you having a lovely Valentine's Day? I hope you're feeling all of the love this morning. And even more exciting, Tuesday, kids, it's Pancake Day. Are we excited? What's your favorite pancake topping? Put it in the chat. Are you a sweet? Are you a savory? Are you lemon and sugar? Are you bacon? All of the above for me, sweet and savory, all on top. Well, thick or thin has been asked here. Now I come from a family, a traditional thin pancake family. Thank you, Mum and Dad, for some lovely pancakes over the years. But I have learned that it is very hard to successfully cook a very thin pancake, and I'm not too great at it. So I'm now a thick pancake person. But what's your favourite topping? What do you put on? Pancake day is coming. I'm so excited. And, of course, even more importantly, after pancake day, what starts the next day? Lent. Lent is starting, isn't it? We're preparing for Easter, aren't we? And as a church, we are going to bless you with a fantastic resource for this Lent period for your family. It is packed full of verses from Scripture for you to read together, prayer, activities, games, craft. It's going to be so much fun, one for every day of Lent. And because we're not in the business of destroying the rainforest, we're not going to print these out and deliver them to you. We're going to send them to your verse actually, because we're in the 21st century now, and that's what we can do. So I'm going to send it out this afternoon on the parents' WhatsApp, and if you're not on the parents' WhatsApp, don't worry, I'll send them out to you personally as well, so you're going to get them and have a brilliant resource for you and your family to last you the whole of Lent as we lead up to Easter time. Fantastic. Now then, this morning, okay, like Greg's already told us, we're on to our relational well-being this week on our well-being journey. We're thinking about our relationships and specifically this morning, I'm going to ask you to think about friendships. Now, friends are an amazing, beautiful thing given to us by God. God wants us to be together, to do our lives together, live together, grow together, help each other grow. He didn't create us to be on our own, did he? And when Jesus was on the earth, he had loads of friends. He surrounded himself with friends. He had his disciples, his extra special friends. And he had loads of other friends too. He didn't do life on his own. He showed us that we should be doing life together with one another. And so friendship is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm going to show you how amazing it can be. Now, I'm going to lay out some candles. There we go. Now, these candles represent the things that we're, tr- we're trying to achieve here on this earth. Maybe it's um, something you feel called to do by God. Or maybe these candles could represent what we're all called to do, the Great Commission, which is not candles. It's obviously to go out into the world and to make disciples. But this is going to represent that. So I'm going to... Here we go. I'm going to light the candles. Okay, hopefully you can see this. I don't know. There we go. Okay. And now I've got here, I've got a balloon and I've got a bottle. Let's have... Betty, the balloon, there we go, and let's have Beatrice, Beatrice, the bottle here. Now, these two wonderful, wonderful Christians, so passionate about going out into the world and sharing the gospel and making disciples, but if they try to do it on their own, now, if I held this bottle, if I held, was this Beatrice? If I held Beatrice over these candles, I don't think 
a lot of good things would happen to Beatrice. And if I held Bertie, Betty, over the counter, I don't think good things would happen there either. We're not supposed to be doing these things on our own. Like we've been speaking about in our Zooms with the kids in the kids club zooms we've been speaking about how we are part of the body of Christ is a memory verse I asked your little ones to remember can you remember it kids tell your grown-ups if you can remember it 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 starts with in one spirit carry on for your grown-ups see if you can remember let me know parents if they remembered it but we are part of the body of Christ we're supposed to be doing things together in relationship with one another we're not supposed to be doing it on our own so let me have I've forgotten the names again Bertie, Betty, Beatrice let's have them work together let's open up Beatrice Beatrice is opening up to Betty they're in relationship together they're best friends I'm gonna stretch stretch Betty over here here we go now then oh I broke Betty I broke Betty (laughs) (laughs) Now then, if I empty up Betty into Beatrice, she makes a chemical reaction, okay? And she overflows. It's a bit like the joy of the Lord that overflows. Now, if I hadn't broken Betty, Betty would have filled up with air. It would have been amazing. You'll have to use your imagination because I broke her. But she would have filled up with air. And then I could have used that air to blow out these candles and you would have seen it would have been magical if I hadn't have broken Betty. I've manhandled her, I've handled her very badly, but I broke her. She would have filled up with air and we would have been able to blow out those candles and so we would have succeeded together on their own. They wouldn't be able to do it. But together, when you work together with one another in communion together, in relationship together, you can achieve a whole lot more as long as you don't break Betty, but that's what you can do (laughs) when you're in relationship with one another and you're gentle with one another you can do a whole lot more than you can do on your own thank you I'm pretty certain there's one or two of us who are feeling a little bit like broken Betty's anybody yeah and uh, you know I think accidentally Grace has given us an incredible uh, visual image there for what that can do to our relationships any broken Bettys out there? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we act out of our brokenness, don't we? And things don't, don't quite then go according to plan. Um, but you see the potential. You see the potential. And, um, and, and that is exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. And we're going to be talking about God's inbuilt potential in each one of us. Not just each of us as individuals, but each of us joining together in relationship and community just the way God made us. It's part of our well-being journey. And uh, if you've been journeying with us uh, through these recent weeks, you'll know that we've been talking about, and I think they're going to come up on your screen, um, six interconnected areas of our well-being. And the Bible talks about our well-being um, in using the word shalom, uh, which oftentimes we, we would uh, think refers to peace. But what we're doing is we're, we're starting to understand that peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's not just the absence of trouble. It's actually the presence of God's good, of his wholeness. And that's what we mean when we're talking about well-being. 
over recent weeks. We've talked about how it is that we're invited into having a well-being mindset, that attitude that says, yes, we can grow in God. We can come to a place of wholeness. And then we've been talking about our physical well-being, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being. And today, we're going to be discussing this idea of relational well-being and how it is that God has made us for relationship. the, The Bible teaches us, it's a fundamental reality of the Christian faith, that God has made us for himself. He's made us for himself. You know, there's a, one of the really old statements of the Christian faith um, invites us to consider what is the purpose, what is the chief end of humanity, and it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I, I really love that. It just sticks so strongly with me that, yes, we're made to bring glory to God, and that is a relational dynamic, but we're also meant to enjoy God. And God has made us not only to enjoy him, but to actually enjoy relationship with one another. We're made for community because we're made by a God of community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, you know, as we remarked, as we began this morning, uh, God prayed that for us, that we would be one, even as he and the Father and the Spirit are one. This morning, as with many uh, days in our well-being journey, we're going to be considering the life and the pattern and the experiences of a a man, a prophet in the Old Testament of the Bible named Elijah. Many of us, uh, we've got our our books for this series, 50 Days, um, that that talk to us about God's plan for our well-being. And uh, and in there, we've been learning so much about this man, Elijah. Today, we're going to be finding ourselves largely in 1 Kings 19, if you've got a Bible. If you don't, just click the tab on your device this morning, and, and you can get the Bible right there where you are. Well, this man, Elijah, he was... Well, he's remarkable in many ways. In fact, in some Jewish traditions, they consider that he probably was an angel. But actually, the Bible tells us in a New Testament book, James, that he was a man just like any of us. He was human, and yet extraordinarily so. He uh, prophesied when God gave him the words that there would be a drought in the whole nation, the whole area, and there was. And then he spoke and said, well, the rain's coming, and it did. This man saw miraculous things happening all the way through his life and ministry. Not least, he was able to be used by God to bring somebody back from the dead. That's pretty remarkable stuff, isn't it? I feel like maybe Betty needs a little bit of that ministry this morning. Um, In all seriousness, Elijah was used powerfully and dynamically, and not just on the personal scale, but he was used on the national scale as well to bring back a whole nation from being far from God to come back to God on Mount Carmel. And he called down fire from heaven, and it came. And he's had this absolute mountaintop, literal, fire-falling experience of God. Yet today we're going to find him really down in the deepest, darkest valley. Well, there's no light, there's no heat, there's no warmth, there's nothing seems to be good. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that that sometimes can be the case. Often after the greatest heights of life come the greatest falls. And I would say actually spiritually speaking, um, that, that's where we see that most commonly defined. That after sometimes our, our greatest experiences, our greatest moments, come the deepest sorrows and darknesses of our lives. 
In 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read a couple of chunks here, verse 3 we're going to begin with. It tells us that Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who had already died. Now those verses there began saying he was afraid and fled for his life. Why? Well, even though he led the nation, this incredible spiritual restoration, he was in a fight. The king and the queen, they were totally opposed to this. And there was an incredible power struggle here, whereby the queen in particular and all the people that she could marshal were literally seeking Elijah's life. They wanted him out the way. They wanted him dead. And this is why Elijah comes to this place. If you read on in the chapter, verse 15 and 16 says, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Merlah, to replace you as my prophet. There's a lot of names and places and you know, perhaps strangeness there, but you'll see what this can mean for us in terms of our relational well-being as we go along. But what we're seeing right at the outset here is a portrait of somebody who is very, very human. Very, very human. You know, we've said already that, look, Elisha was no angel. He wasn't some spiritual being. He was a spiritual, yes, and dynamically so, but real, human, natural. As Jeff Lucas puts it, he says, we can be so glad that when God paints portraits of the great heroes of the Bible, they're human beings. It's all there in the portrait. It's like they're warts and all type portraits. Jeff Lucas says, they're not glow-in-the-dark superheroes who always get it right. They're human beings, which is incredibly good news because uh, guess what? So are you. Look, if there's somebody in your living room with you now, why don't you just turn to them and say you're a human being? You might want to add on you're a spectacularly wonderful human being or you're an absolutely beautiful human being. You can, you know, embellish as you see fit. But look, the truth of the matter is you're human. I'm human. We're human. When we open the pages of the Bible, what we really need to find is the human experience lived with God. Elijah, well, you see, he believed that the world, his world, was going to hell in a handbasket. And, and don't we all? You know, everybody kind of reminisces, don't we? And we all say, oh, you know, it's not like the good old days. There's this sense somehow that everything is kind of deteriorating. Maybe there's a little in that. I'm not sure. But for Elijah, that the current circumstances really pressed in on him. You see, they'd had six kings in a 58-year period, and they were all shocking. But the one now, King Ahab, was the worst of the lot. He was both personally morally corrupt, but he'd married to uh, this woman named Jezebel who brought in the religious practice of an even more corrupt society. They worshipped this false god Baal and there was all sorts of decadence and depredations in that. Not least of all human sacrifice, even child sacrifice. Things were terrible. And in that moment, 
And in the challenge of this moment, Elijah, well, he prays. I guess we've all had moments of desperation in prayer, haven't we? Maybe not quite to the extent of Elijah praying that God would just do away with him. And yet we pray desperately when we are in desperate circumstances. I was pointed to a prayer offered by the writer Anne Lamont, and you know, I'm going to offer it to you. You might want to use it this week. It's a really profound short prayer. Um, you might want to write this down because you know, it's, it's quite tricky. Just you know, maybe get a pen and paper. Here it comes. Her prayer is this. Help me, help me, help me. Followed by thank you, thank you, thank you. That's a good prayer, isn't it? I think we probably need to just go, you know, put that one away and use it. We might not be in quite the same circumstances as Elijah, but we all will find our tanks, those dials we've been talking about, running dry. You ever been in the car and run out of fuel? I'm happy to say I've never actually run out of fuel in my car, but actually on two occasions, if I run out of fuel in church minibuses. This is quite embarrassing. I've never confessed this to everybody. Um, but look, I'd, I've got an excuse, but on one occasion, and this was the worst one, I guess, I was taking a group of young people from the church over to Liverpool. So we were going through the tunnel, and we ran out of fuel in the tunnel. Um, it's really, really bad. Um, and uh, thankfully, there were some people who managed to plead really, really well with the police and we didn't get fined. But um, I blame it on the fact that the dial on the petrol tank, it just kind of, it was lying to me. It told me there was something in there and there wasn't. On another occasion, uh, it was coming back from a youth um, weekend away. It's always with the young people. I blame the young people <laughs> of the church. Um, but we were coming back, and, and I, I thought we had enough. It was there. It was hovering just above the red. And then we hit traffic jam. And um, it went down and down. And, uh, I've told the story before. Actually, God brought something really, really good out of that. And I was able to help somebody find their way back to God. But um, I thought I knew. I thought I had enough in the tank, and I didn't. And I can blame anybody, I can blame any circumstance, but it was me. Look, you can test and try and see how much you can eke out of life, or you can fill your tank. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So right now, as we come again to worship God and pray, I would encourage you, look, whether you sing the song or whether you just really dig into prayer with God right now, this is what we're about. We're not saying, look, I'm just going to pr- press through another week and just keep on going because I've got enough. I've got, I'm, I'm hovering over the red. There's a bit more in the tank. No, we're going to fill the tank today. We can raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm. It doesn't really matter what the storms of this life are, not to diminish them in any way, but to say that God is present in each and every one of them and God is able And this morning, we want to really dig deep into this story of Elijah and kind of find out, well, what was going on with him? Why did he get to the point that he got to? And how can we see God leading him, providing for him, and what can he do for us? Well, firstly, what we want to recognize is um, that when he is beset by trouble, he makes a choice that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and perhaps was a part of him feeling and becoming so desperately um, low. 
And that is right um, when he fled for his life. You saw it in 1 Kings 19. He went to Beersheba, and it says, and he left his servant there. Or in other versions of the Bible, he dismissed his servant. Now, we can't really begin to understand why does he do that? You know, when he feels like the whole world is pressing in on him, why is it that the one person who was with him, who was you know, really dedicated to serving him, he says, okay, I don't need you right now. It doesn't make sense, does it? And yet, isn't that really what we all do from time to time? We make the choice to isolate ourselves. Now, don't misunderstand me. Making the choice to, to be on your own is not always a bad thing. In fact, it can be a very, very good thing. You know, stillness and even solitude is needed as part of any healthy life, as part of any healthy spiritual life. And the truth of the matter is that most of us don't really seek solitude as much as we should. Yet when there's enforced solitude, and the choices which lead us toward isolation, it becomes something of a terrible curse. It is a terrible curse in the modern world. So many folks, maybe us included from time to time, we find ourselves quite alone. Small decisions, small choices can lead to vast chasms. And we can even be in a crowd and feel ourselves totally alone. So-called social media doesn't really help. It's not social in any significant way to sit on the sidelines and observe someone else's carefully curated life. Nor is it very sociable to don your keyboard warrior armor and go to war with one another. There are so many things that don't really unite, they divide. T.S. Eliot once remarked that television enables us all to laugh at the same joke and yet each to remain completely alone. It's true, isn't it? And of course, the fact of the matter is, nowadays, we're not even watching the same things. You know, those water cooler moments that used to gather people, few and far between. Indeed, so much of culture and of politics invites us to define ourselves, not by what unites us, but by what divides us. What you wear, where you were brought up or went to school, the music you listen to, the football team you support, dare I say it, the political party or, or figure that you support. These and more act as wedges to force people apart. And that's not to attend to the deeper divides in society as yet not fully healed between people maybe from different nations or with different colors of skin, from different generations or even genders. And in this age of social distancing, although we're painfully aware of our lack of human contact, the question is, will we truly put down our personal preference in favor of what it really takes to build community? Or will we be like Elijah in this moment of desperation and sending away the one person who could have really been present with us? You know, we sing in this part of the world, you'll never walk alone. Or at least we did sing it last season. We don't sing it quite so much right now. Uh, it's pain. You can be quiet. Um, sorry, there's a Man City supporter in the uh, church. We'll eject him shortly. Um, how is it that none of you wonderful people can be here, but we can have Man City supporters in the house? I, I don't know what that's about. Um, anyhow, where were we? Um, People sing, you'll never walk alone, but it, it, 
I mean, it's pretty painful when you're watching stadia that are totally empty in these difficult times. The truth of the matter is many people do walk alone. The Office for National Statistics tells us that 2.6 million adults in England reported that they felt lonely often or always between the 3rd of April and 3rd of May in 2020 when they sampled this. You know, in the height of that first lockdown, that's a lot of people, isn't it? But this is not just a momentary thing. Age UK notes that there are 1.4 million chronically lonely older people in England. It's chronic. It's not just in a moment. It's not even just pandemic related. This is their normal life, to be lonely. Elijah was lonely. He kind of made himself alone. And when you find yourself in that place of being alone, of feeling alone, of small choices perhaps having led to wide chasms between you and me or, and, and others around us, what we see is that fear then is amplified when we feel alone, when we walk alone. Elijah, he was afraid and he fled for his life. And in isolation, the fear is not diminished, it grows. Now, he's got rid of the flesh and blood support around him. And in that isolation, he's actually started to believe that God's not with him either. Believing that God is absent will lead to all kinds of desperation. You know, for Elijah, he runs for his life. And yet, did you notice this? He runs for his life and yet he prays for his death. That seems like the mark of a really desperate man who's pretty much losing it. To know on the one hand, deep inside, that he needs to preserve his life and yet to feel so desperate that he wants his life to be over, he doesn't know what's going on inside of him. Strange and even destructive kinds of behaviors can happen when we believe that we're on our own, yet God is there for Elijah. He's here. He's where you are. He's always here. Richard Foster puts it like this. He says, of course, all of our experiences in solitude are done in the presence of the living God. We are, after all, experiencing solitude as a Christian spiritual discipline. In times of solitude, we become enveloped in God's very presence. Enveloped in God's very presence. Does anybody want that? My Facebook feed recently, looking forward to Valentine's Day, has been telling me in no uncertain terms that I need to buy this massive weighted blanket that you can kind of wear and that, that my wife really, really needs this. And I thought, well, do you know, maybe Facebook's onto something here. And, uh, and so I clicked through and then it said that it was 80 quid and I clicked onto something else. Um, and um, uh, we're going to have nice dinner tonight instead because, you know. But, you know, there's that sense, isn't there, where we, we do quite enjoy being enveloped. You know, who doesn't like a cuddle? You know, if you don't like a cuddle, come on, request prayer. We'll help you. Um, in all seriousness... Whether we're tactile or not, whether we're introverted or extroverted, we need to know that God's presence is around and about us. You know, even if we find that we're alone because of our own wrong choices, even if we feel that we're not worth being with, Jesus said he came to this world to seek and to save the lost. He's come looking for you because he loves you. He's come looking for me because he loves me. 
Jesus said that he would be willing to leave the 99, those who are safe and secure, to go and find the one. We started up singing that this morning, didn't we? He'll come and he'll look for the one alone in need. God is always present and he's always in control. We don't need to be afraid. I'm going to invite the team to come and lead us in worship again. But as we do so, I really want you to, maybe as much as it's possible, to just be still in the environment that you're in. There's nothing wrong with stillness, with silence. But within that, we recognize that though in many different regards we might find ourselves alone, God is with us. The Bible gives Jesus that very name, Emmanuel. God is with us. He's present. If you need to, why don't you pray that simple prayer, help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just know that God is with you as we worship again this morning. We come to you, we fall at your feet, Lord God, to worship you and to know you at work within our lives. We thank you that you are always, always with us. Praise God. Praise God. As we conclude our, our, our thinking around this, this moment, this, this time in Elijah's life and our, our own relational well-being. We want to think about, okay, well, God is present with us. He's with us always. What is he doing in our lives? How is he making us well again? Well, God works in some really remarkable ways that just totally blow our minds and God also works in some ways that you, afterwards you're like, goodness, how come I didn't see that or think of that? You see, God, we've said it already, he knows how he made you in every which way. And look, we've said that all of these different well-being tanks of our lives, they're, they're all interconnected. And so in Elijah's life, God does some work in his life that is incredibly simple. And when Elijah is there feeling lowest of the low, absolutely desperate, God provides for him in his physical well-being. Look, he's done it before in the time of drought. God met him, and whether it was by bringing a purse alongside or by supernaturally providing, what does God give Elijah? He gives him something to eat. He knows that Elijah not only is, is weak in his um, you know, emotional health and his relational experience, but he's weak in his body. He needs something to eat. Look, we've said it already. The physical well-being will impact upon our spiritual well-being. So could you just for a moment stop being so ridiculously spiritual and go to bed at a decent time or eat some good food or go for a walk or do the kinds of things that you know, that I know, because God knows and he put it in us, are going to have an impact upon our spiritual lives, our relational lives, our emotional lives. God knew that Elijah was hungry and he gave him something to eat. You know, I was chatting, well, some months back before this pandemic season, actually, with a, a chap who just wandered into the church building on one occasion, and he claimed that he was struggling with an aspect of his spiritual well-being, but as we talked, it became apparent that actually it was something more to do with his mental well-being than his spiritual life. He said he was having these kinds of issues, and so he'd chosen to print out various Bible verses and, you know, plaster them all over the walls so that he would always be surrounded by Bible verses. Well, you might say that seems like a good idea, and he plastered these all on the walls, and he'd gotten rid of his telly, 
uh, because he felt like it was just not a spiritual thing to have in his life. But as we talked, you know, it seemed to me um, that actually God wanted to just speak something quite ordinary into his life. So um, me, your pastor, and, and you might want to review this after this, um, but I said to him, mate, you want to take down all of those Bible verses off your walls and get a telly. And he looked at me like I was absolutely insane. And then he started to look at me like I probably, you know, wasn't really speaking for God and maybe for the other fella. Um, And he went away really disappointed. But the reality for that chap was he didn't need more spiritual food. He needed to relax and calm down a little bit and actually enable himself to enjoy some of the ordinary things of life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not for a moment saying that everything on the telly is good. It really isn't. But we sometimes need to stop being so obsessed with the things that we think are spiritual. Truth is, quite often, they're pseudo-spiritual. And sometimes we need to just do the ordinary things that are part of how God's made us. Living a healthy life. Going for a walk. Better yet, go for a walk with a friend, socially distanced. And do some of the ordinary things that God has placed into your life to help you to be healthy and whole. God works through food and friendship. Can I get a hallelujah from anybody? He really does. He really does. You need other people. You know, as long as those friends don't eat your food, obviously, uh, because it's food and friendship. You know, I don't want to mess these things up. Um, But in all seriousness, God is a lot more practical than most of us. He knows how how he's made us. Physically, we need food. Relationally, we need friendship. We're made for living in relationship, for living in community. And look, you know, your pastor, I am an introvert, quite on the exceeding end of that spectrum. But if I know this, then surely the rest of us know this deep down inside as well. You know, we know that our church, it's formed around not just gathering on a Sunday or whatever kind of other gatherings of the whole church we might have, but it's involved on the going together. We have transform communities. We describe them as extended families of missionary servants. We journey through life together, making disciples as we are made as disciples of Christ. You can't have one without the other. It's like trying to have one side of a coin and not the other side of a coin. It's just not a coin anymore. We need to be living in relationship, not just kind of gaining some spiritual tidbits from here or there and thinking somehow we can journey through this life on our own. We need friendship. Moreover, we need godly friendship. You know, in our readings at the start, we heard how Elijah was going to be commissioned by God when God had done a work in his life to go and anoint some people. Um, There's going to be this new king outside of um, God's people. It's going to do God's work in the wider um, spectrum of society. There's going to be a new king for God's people. And there's going to be a new um, prophet, Elisha, who's going to follow Elijah. In 2 Kings 4 and verse 9, we're told a little bit about this man. That he is this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Elijah wasn't just being given Elisha because he was another warm body, but because he was a holy man of God. And God had a plan for the two of them to know the benefit, and that benefit would cascade into the lives of so many others. Friendship and human contact is great, but better yet is godly friendship. 
And that's exactly what Elijah needs and God provides. You see, Elijah, he's lost his way. He's lost perspective because he's alone. Consider the things that he said to God. He said to God, I've zealously served you, which was true. But then he said, the people have rejected the covenant they'd made with you. Now, actually, in that moment, that's not true. There on Mount Carmel, spectacularly, the the everyday people have renewed their covenant with God. And yet, because Elijah's alone, he's got no one to kind of speak to him, he, he loses track of that. He says, they've torn down your altars. Actually, Elijah asked them to help, and they just helped him build a new altar to God. He says, I'm the only one left, when in actual fact there's thousands left who are really worshipping the true God. He's lost perspective because he's turned in on himself. He needs somebody who not only can come alongside him and speak some goodness into his life, but who can restore his perspective on who God is and what God's doing. And only a godly friend can do that. Any kind of friend can do many nice things in your life, but only a godly friend can renew your perspective of who God is and what he's doing in your life and the world around you. Our feelings, well, they can lie. We can convince ourselves of pretty much anything, but friendship can help set us straight. And into this picture comes Elisha. Specifically for Elijah, God provided him with a friend who could serve sacrificially, was faithfully present, and spoke truth lovingly. Spoke truth lovingly, even when it challenged Elijah. You know, we're invited as Christians in community to speak the truth with love. You know, sometimes we might fall into the trap of thinking that means we can just kind of, you know, land anything on anybody and then afterwards say, I'm only saying this because I love you. Nonsense. Truth for the Christian is to speak who Jesus is and to speak who Jesus is in another Christian's life. That's truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You know, if we just think we can just land truth bombs on somebody from a distance and leg it, then we've totally missed the point. Jesus comes close. He is truth. And God invites us to speak the truth of Jesus with love into one another's lives. Elisha would do this for Elijah. Who's doing this life with you? Which godly friends? It's not to say that everybody in your life needs to be godly, at least not yet. You know, they might be one day, and we pray about that and seek that. But we need friends who can give us godly perspective, who can actively lead us toward God. Look, sometimes you're going to need to actually distance yourself from people who are leading you away from God. And invest yourself in a relationship that will lead you to God. I often think about the image of, of a mountain. You know, a classic kind of cone-shaped mountain. And of course, the higher you get up the mountain, the less of it there is. There's more at the bottom, less at the top. So if you imagine two people climbing up this mountain. The further they go up, the closer they get together. It's just a physical reality. The same is true spiritually. If you are, as the Bible tells us, it's kind of the same image, ascending the hill of the Lord, the closer we're drawing near to God, by its very nature, therefore the closer we are drawing to one another. 
As a family, we've kind of bit the bullet and we've reserved a holiday in Scotland for the summertime. Pray with us, please God, we need a holiday, we want to go. Um, we're only going to do it if it's appropriate and allowed for, obviously. Um, but I'm kind of already dreaming about climbing a mountain. Um, and, and I want to climb it with my family. Now, this is not because I'm crazy and masochistic. Honestly, getting my boy up a hill to the school is hard enough. Um, but I want to do it with my family because it's better. I want to see the looks on their faces when we get to the top and we see the view. And I want them to kind of look at the view and not see the look on my face while I'm panting and wheezing in the side. But you want to journey up these beautiful moments together. We want to journey toward God together. Are the people in your life journeying with you toward God? Or are you just scratching around at the bottom of the mountain, chasing around after one another? If the people in your life, the key people in your life, if they're not journeying towards God, then they're leading you to journey away from God. There's no other way of putting it. We need an Elisha to our Elijah. This is what we need. We need God's people. The Bible's really clear to us that when we get God, we get his people. And the way that the New Testament gives us this image, it says that, that Christ is the head of his church and we are like the body. Does anybody want to separate those two? Does anybody really want a disembodied Christ? It sounds a bit grisly to me. Does anybody really want a body without a head? I, image doesn't work. The reality doesn't work. If you want to really be a Christian and pursue Jesus, you're going to need his people. And here's the truth. They need you as well. As crazy as you are, as difficult as you are, as awkward as you are, truth is I'm talking about me. We need one another. And the most key relationship in our life, and the team's going to lead us to worship as we think about this, the primary and founding relationship for our life, where all relational well-being stems from, is our relationship with Jesus. And this morning... Whatever it is that you're uh, listening to these words, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Not just know about him, do you know him? Can you truly say yes? When people say Jesus is Lord, I, I know he's my Lord. He's in charge. He's, he's got it, and he's got it for me. He's my savior. He's rescued me, really, from my own worst self. He's made me new. He's my closest and dearest friend. He's the one who holds it all together for me because he holds me. And I hold him. And it's good. And my hope and prayer is that's true for you this morning. But if it's not, please, would you request prayer right now? Would you say, help me? I, I want to know that reality to be true. I want this to be the founding relationship for my life so that every other relationship in my life can really flow with the goodness of God. I read a story last week of a man um, named David Ayres. And, um, you know, very tragically, he was found in a mountain cabin. Um, he'd lost his life. It was an accident. He'd, uh, sadly, um, the, the, the fire wasn't working in the, in the cabin and the carbon monoxide. It was a, a tragic accident. But this chap, apparently, he would disappear for months at a time, traveling around the world. And, over time, he'd really lost contact, really, with everybody in his family. He was just 36, and he worked as a ski instructor. He was last in contact with his mom two years ago, and his body then was found in that mountain hut 
you know, sadly, he'd lost his life. He was frozen. The officials in the town nearby, they just didn't know who to find to, to notify. And they searched for more than a month. And people who knew him, and they knew he was, he was genuinely a good guy. But they were desperately trying to find his family. Finally, through the newspaper, they managed to find him. And he was said by his family to have a troubled past, which he tried to escape by moving around the world, only contacting his family when he needed money, so said a friend. But having found the family, his mother said of him, he said, she said, David was always a free spirit, charismatic, talented, but he was also an extremely complex person. Our family is devastated and heartbroken, and the pain will never heal. It struck me as a story, really, of, of relational lack, of a lack of well-being. It was a, a charismatic, talented, just a beautiful-sounding bloke, but relationships, his well-being, it was marked by his past, and he just couldn't go forward into his future. And I, I suppose what really struck me about the story is that that chap, well, he was from Birkenhead, and it just seemed so close to home. How close to home is it for you? Are you always running onto the next, occupying yourself, keeping yourself busy? Maybe you're charismatic, maybe you're talented, maybe everyone around you thinks that you're great, and yet deep down you know your relational well-being, you're running on empty. Come on, as we worship God now, would you request prayer? Would you do that? Would you make that first outreach? Would you say, yes, I need to connect with someone because I know I need to connect with God. I need to connect with others. I'm going to connect with my transformed community this week. This is how God has made me. This is how he loves me. This is how he's going to fill my tank. Let's praise such a God who loves us as we close out this morning. God bless you. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.